Welcome to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My name is Jonathan Edwards, and I serve as a pastor at the Grace Brethren Chapel located in Northwest Ohio. The goal of this podcast is to teach God's truth and how to apply it accurately to one's life so that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed as you contemplate God's word. Greetings, saints and fellow bond slaves of Jesus Christ. Welcome back to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. Thank you for joining me again today. I have a special guest uh, with me on the podcast today. His name is Andrew Winters. He is an elder in training here at the Grace Brethren Chapel, and we've been friends for, what, seven, eight years? Eight years. Yeah, I've been here for eight eight years now. Eight years. One of the neat things about our relationship is that uh, I introduced Andrew to deer hunting. Yes. And now we enjoy deer hunting together. Yes. And uh, we have just a, a wonderful time in the fall and in the winter chasing after those brown critters. And we <laughs> we do it for population control and because they're very tasty. Yes. So one of the fun things that we have in common, I'll going to throw this to Andrew and let him give a little bit of his testimony and an introduction about uh, why he's here to talk about this particular topic today. Sure. Well, uh, my name is Andrew. I grew up as a church brat. My parents took me and my three brothers to church three times a week, but I really wasn't convicted of sin and didn't see seriously a need for repentance and faith in Jesus Christ until I was about 18. And when that happened, I had all the thinking to do, but I was finishing high school and on my way to college already, so I went to Purdue University. Initially, I wanted to be a doctor, so I was double majoring in biology and also in biology education. I finished both those degrees. Uh, Always loved science, loved nature, loved creation, loved living things. And what do you do now? Well, I out of college, I worked for three years in a laboratory. Okay researching and testing medical devices. But I met my wife in college. We moved out here to Northwest Ohio to her family farm. And about three years of working in this lab, uh, my wife and her grandfather needed more help in the farm. And they're like, hey, why don't you quit your lab job and work on the farm and drive tractors? And I said, well, that sounds fun. <laughs> That's been a learning curve. So for the past five years, I've been a farmer growing corn and soybeans. Oh, I can't believe it's been five years already. Five years, yes. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I probably look and smell like a farmer now. Well, in total transparency, today it is about 18 degrees in Northwest Ohio and snowing. And so I dressed like a farmer to come to the church today. I got, <laughs> you do, yes. I got uh, the old jeans on and a flannel shirt to stay yes, warm. Yes, let's go work on a tractor together, Jonathan. We, well, I, I have to do a sermon, so. Okay, well, <laughs> that's this, more important. After this podcast. That's more important. <laughs> I'll work on the sermon, but I'll look like a farmer. So, I wanted to take a few moments to actually introduce the topic we're discussing. Obviously, if you looked at the title of the podcast, you know we're talking about birth control. And I think this is a very important topic for Christians to consider. If you have followed my podcast or if you're curious about why I'm discussing this on a podcast about theology in the Bible, last fall I I did an episode entitled, How Many Kids Should I Have?, where I argued that one of the things Christians should do is consider stewardship in family planning. And one of the ways that you practice stewardship in family planning is by asking yourself, like, how many children can I reasonably afford 
And how many children can I reasonably afford to parent well? Mm-hmm. How many children um, might I be able to have based on different health and wellness factors that are sometimes out of our control? And so if you want a deep dive on the stewardship of family planning, go listen to episode 125. But out of that episode came this question from a number of people, which is, okay, if I want to practice biblical family planning, if I, want to, if I want to honor God by being a good steward of my resources and planning the number of children, are there methodologies of quote-unquote birth control that are appropriate to use and inappropriate to use? And I'm going to say morally acceptable and morally unacceptable. That's how I'm going to define this in this particular podcast. So Andrew, as the biologist of the group, mm-hmm. has done the, the heavy lifting in terms of the biological aspects of this argument. From a pastoral perspective, I've done a lot of work on the theological aspects right. of, you know, when does life begin and, and how does that affect these choices that we make when it comes to family planning? So let's first of all just talk about, Andrew, I know you've been researching the book of Romans. Right, Let's first of all talk about, you know, family planning and how that might fit into one's faith and convictions. Can you speak to that from maybe Romans 14? Absolutely. Yeah. Romans 14, Paul is discussing with the church in Rome an issue that has arisen where some Christians— can eat meat sold in the marketplace that has been sacrificed to pagan idols without any problems of conscience. They know it's just meat. They know the idols are just stone. And so they have no problem with buying meat on sale, eating it, while other Christians, their conscience is stricken with the idea that they are eating meat that has been sacrificed to an idol. Maybe they were previous idol worshipers before they were saved. Um, and their conscience is is harmed by this, even the concept of it. Right. So, and, so we're throwing this into the realm of conscience. Right. Yes. What, conscience. What, 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 what is what allows your conscience to be clear before God, yes. so that you are not sinning internally? Right. And and that may be a different choice for everybody based right. on what you're sharing from Romans 14. Right. And 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 towards the end of, of chapter 14, Paul gives this admonition. He says. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. And as I was thinking about this, thinking about Paul's mindset, Paul's demeanor through his Christian life, if we go back to Acts chapter 24, he, he's standing up and giving his testimony, defending his faith before court, and he says this. He says, so I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and men. And so as we talk about uh, contraception and birth control, you know, these are areas where Christians have different feelings. Some are, you know, think that only natural ways are appropriate. Others are comfortable with scientific understanding. That's an objective science, not a a theoretical science. Or a philosophical science. Or philosophical science. We're we're concerned about objective, testable, repeatable, observable science. Right. But some Christians, you know, their conscience is stricken. They don't trust scientists. 
and for for probably for good reasons. So so there's there's a different areas of liberty in the church, and we don't want to encourage Christians to hear this podcast and then do something that is against their conscience. Right. So what we're basically trying to do is we are trying to establish those areas of family planning, which are morally acceptable. Right. And then you as the individual Christian are responsible to choose from those which are morally acceptable and say, my conscience is clear if I use this method or this method or this method. Maybe my conscience isn't clear to use one of those methods. Right. I can only use a very limited method. And, right. And so our our job is to educate Christians on what is morally acceptable. And then it's between you and your spouse and the Lord as to what direction you're going to actually choose. And I believe right. personally, this is a topic for men mm-hmm. as much as it is for women. Yes. I think women, obviously, because they're the ones who go through a lot of the the effort of, well, they go through all the effort of caring for the child, delivering the child. Yes. They think about uh, conception control or birth control a lot more than men do. Right. But men, if you're going to be a leader of your family, if you're going to be a spiritual leader, then you need to think about these things as well, and you need to take into consideration the feelings of your wife. Yes. You have a responsibility to steward your family well, and that means if you're going to be involved in 50% of the act that could result in a child being born, right. then you better understand exactly how you are preventing or enabling that child to be conceived and, and possibly born. Right. We have to put the interests of our wife and our family above our own interests. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've kind of talked about already in this podcast, we've kind of already talked about conception control versus birth control. Why don't we move into defining those things and why we have already made that kind of distinction in our talking? I mean, obviously, we've talked yes. before the podcast. We have an understanding of what we mean. Let's let everybody else know, what do we mean by conception control versus birth control? Right, right. And this is a good time for a quick disclaimer. I'm a little bit jealous of Jonathan as a theologian. He gets to study the Word of God. And the Word of God uh, is plain. It's clear. It says it's written down, and Jonathan can study it. He can think about it and understand it, and, and it doesn't change. It doesn't change. Biology is different. Uh, there is so little, if we're, if we're being honest, there is so little we can actually ob- objectively observe, objectively test, and objectively repeat. I studied uh, biology at college for four years, got two degrees, I went and worked in a lab for three years on the farm. I use biology every day for plants. But if we're honest, there is vastly more that we do not understand than what we actually can observe and, and, and can say, yes, yes, confidently, I understand this. There is very little we can say we can be confident objectively if we're honest. So as far as... And that's con- the disclaimer. Yeah, that's, that's the a, disclaimer. That's the disclaimer for this podcast. We, right. We recognize that. You know, as we are talking about these things in the year of 2024, uh, 15 years from now, we could have different scientific technologies that mm-hmm. would enable us to understand far more yes. than we know now. Yes. And we recognize that we know far more now than people knew 100, 100 years ago or even 1,000 years ago. Right. So we're taking what we know objectively from the Scripture yep. through the Spirit of God yep. and what we know to our, our best knowledge about 
biological life, and we're trying to make decisions that honor God. That's our goal. That is our goal. Perfect. So when we talk about birth control and contraception, I want to make a distinction. Contraception is is preventing the sperm and the egg from uniting and conceiving a new human life, a new human embryo. A person who is genetically distinct from his mother or father, a person who's made in God's image. That is how we understand life, human life to begin. That's contraception, preventing that start of life from beginning. Right. And if we, let's say, let's, let's try to support that idea from the scriptures. Yeah. Because that's biologically true. Let's yes. try to support it from the scriptures too. Okay. Yes. So if we look at King David in uh, Psalm 51, okay, King David says this in Psalm 51 about himself and, and when he views that he became a real person. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in uh, Psalm 51, verse five, he says this, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin, my mother conceived me. Now he's not talking about his mother having a sinful relationship. He's just saying sin was present because it was passed down from the seed of my father yes. into the, the egg of my mother. And I was a sinner from the very beginning Yes. Of my conception. Yes. In sin, my mother conceived me. Look, he's using a personal pronoun, me. He recognizes that from the moment of conception, he was a distinct person. Right. And right. that confirms what you said biologically. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing how much truth the writers of the Old Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit, yes. could infer without microscopes. Exactly. It's amazing. Exactly. It is amazing. So... That's contraception, uh, not starting human life, not uniting a sperm and an egg to start a new human life. Now, birth control is a very broad term. Birth control is stopping birth by any means necessary. Okay. That can, that can cover contraception. That can get into abortion, whether you're talking about abortion soon after the moment of, of conception or abortion right before birth. Yeah, so, anytime during... The nine-month gestation period. Yes, that's could birth be control. considered birth control. You no, know, birth control. The term came out from the eugenics movement uh, when you know this was a very secular movement. This was trying to control population and trying to control genetics within the population with the goal of creating a superhuman race. Right, and and this would be uh, the work of somebody like Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger, yes, who was absolutely. the the founder of what is known as Planned Parenthood, yes. which. If there was ever a misnomer in the history of the world, Planned Parenthood is the biggest misnomer yes. in the history of the world. It's really more like planned population control, Correct. planned death yes. versus yes. actually parenting. Because yeah. Planned Parenthood as an organization doesn't actually focus really on parenting at all. They right. focus on controlling birth. Correct. And, and we could go down a big rabbit hole there. And we're not going to. Right. But we're, for the sake of this conversation, I just want to make a distinction between contraception and birth control. Morally speaking, uh, Christians can say that contraception is theologically defensible, but birth control as a whole is not. And and why would that be, Andrew? Explain to us from a biological perspective, why would contraception be morally acceptable, whereas birth control would not be? Right. So contraception, again, is preventing conception from happening. Biologically, that means you make sure that the man's sperm and the woman's unfertilized egg never meet. 
So we're never dealing with a human being. Right. We're right, never dealing exactly. with a human being. So if, if a man's sperm dies, you're not killing the man. Gotcha. If a woman's egg is never fertilized and dies, you're not killing the woman. But if an egg gets fertilized by the man's sperm and an embryo is formed and you kill that embryo, you are killing a new human life. Right. Because it has a separate DNA. Yes. Than the parents. Right. It has a... It's it's a totally different person. It is biologically distinct. Despite the fact distinct. that at the moment of conception, it's like two cells. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you could, we could get really technical about you know, is is it is it a is it a OO blast or there's all these biological terms we could use, but the we key wanna, point the key point is as as a Christian, as Bible believers, we want to protect human life. We don't want to kill human life when we understand it to begin. Correct. Good. So with that being said, let's talk about some of the forms of contraception yes. that would be appropriate for Christians to consider. So can you go ahead and give us a rundown of some of those forms of contraception? Sure. So generally speaking, and again, there there are lots of variations. There's lots of data, lots of details we could share, but I'm going to speak in generalities. Perfect. For the sake of time. Excellent. So contraception, basically, specifically speaking, preventing the egg and the sperm from ever meeting, falls under two general areas. There are prevent there, there is preventing the man's sperm from ever getting into the woman's reproductive tract. There, there, there are methods that cover that area. And then there are methods that cover uh, preventing the woman's egg from ever getting it, getting down the reproductive tract to meet the man's sperm. So you, you stop the man's seed or you stop the woman's egg. Um, so to stop the man's seed, to stop the sperm from getting into the woman's re- reproductive tract, generally speaking, you've got two methods. There are barriers, things like condoms, uh, things like abstinence. Yep. Um, or there, there are surgeries. You, you could have a, a vasectomy. Um, you, you might be naturally sterile. You might be naturally sterile. Uh, th- those, those are ways that uh, always prevent the man's sperm from successfully getting into the woman's reproductive system. Okay. Uh, would would the natural method of birth control, so like natural family planning, that's right. a pretty hot topic right now, or a pretty, I would say it's a not necessarily a hot topic, but it's it's one of the most widely promoted methods of, of conception control amongst right. Christians. Would natural family planning be in that category of barrier control? It's, it's, it's a combination of the two, but uh, you're using time. Okay. essentially, as a barrier to make sure that the woman's egg never meets the man's sperm. Okay, and what are the difficulties involved in that? Well, one of the, one of the problems, and, and God didn't design it as a problem. God designed us to reproduce Correct. Under, under sinless conditions, by right, the way. Right, right. Um, the man's sperm will actually stay alive inside of the woman for about five days, a max of five days. So let's say, you know, you, you and your wife, uh, make love on a on a Sunday night, uh, and she ovulates on Thursday. Thursday, guess what? You've got a really good chance of her conceiving. Wow! Yeah. So that was something that when we were doing our our pre our pre show notes, I was blown away by. I didn't. Yeah. I 
I had heard that they live for like 24 hours. I was not aware that it was five Up to five days. days. Up yeah. to five days. Yeah. Okay. Now the egg, the egg, the unfertilized egg, it has a max lifespan of about 24 hours. Okay. So the egg yeah. has a max lifespan of 24 yeah. hours. So so think of it, you know, think of, you know, you've got fighter jets circling and waiting for the aircraft carrier to appear. <sighs> and and they're there for five days. And as soon as that the egg shows up, they're, 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 they're landing. They're trying to land. That's they're right. They're trying to land that, that, land that ship. Yep. Okay. So, so that's a combination of um, the barrier method yep. and time. Using time as the barrier versus some other like external object like a condom right. or the, rather a than surgery. a physical barrier. Yeah. Barrier. Yeah. Yes. So we have barrier methods. Yes. What's the next uh, method the, there. The next category would be preventing the woman from releasing an egg. Okay. So you can do surgeries to do that too. Uh, things like in your tubes tied. Um, uh, medical. Uh, Medicinally, what's used commonly is hormones. So the woman naturally releases a, a series of hormones during her menstrual cycle. So again, hormones, biologically speaking, are chemical messages that tell your body when to perform a certain biological task. Okay, and There's give us some examples of hormones that people might commonly know. Sure. Um, so the fight or flight response, you know, uh, something frightens you, you, you have a fender bender, you're probably going to release some epinephrine and, and then some norepinephrine. That's the fight or flight response. Okay. You get that, you get that rush. You feel, you feel your body tense up. It's, it's like time almost slows down. Um, that, that's, that's a hormone. Uh, there are hormones that released that are released. So a woman will produce milk to nourish a baby. Um, there are hormones that control your body temperature. Um, so when we think about hormones, like for the non-biologists amongst us, right? if you're a man, you typically think about testosterone. Yes. And if you're a woman, you're thinking like progesterone and estrogen. Right. Progesterone? Progesterone. Progesterone. Okay. Yep. And estrogen. Yep. So how do those hormones affect um, conception? So the woman uh, uses her body, releases estrogen and progesterone. During the natural menstrual cycle, the natural fertility cycle that a woman has, to prepare her her reproductive organs to carry a baby. Okay. So there are some hormones that come from the brain telling the woman to release an egg. And there are other hormones that come from the woman's reproductive system to tell her brain, okay, we've released an egg. Don't tell us to release any more eggs. So it's it's an on-off system of biological messages. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. So as when we're talking about contraception, we already talked about barrier methods, whether it's time or physical barrier. To stop an egg from releasing, we can give a woman progesterone and estrogen hormones, and that tells her body not to release any more eggs. And we can we can objectively take an ultrasound, watch a woman's ovaries, give her these hormones, and her ovaries will not release eggs while she's on these hormones. That's fascinating. Yes. So that's the progesterone and estrogen combined, combined. together. Yes. Are there other hormones that a woman might take that would also prevent either con- conception or would, do they do other things? Well, we, we can get and into think, the weeds there. It's well, not, I, think, I think this is really where 
Like, I think this is this is the part the part where we really need to help um, our Christian friends understand how these hormones actually prevent the the birth from happening, right? right? Or so, the conception from happening. So during the natural menstrual cycle, what progesterone and estrogen do, they are released by the ovaries naturally to tell the brain that we don't want to release any more eggs. We're going to be waiting for a pregnancy to occur. Okay. If a pregnancy occurs, uh, that the ovaries continue to release these hormones until the pregnancy is over. And that prevents another egg from being released, and that prevents another a second pregnancy from occurring, right? That's designed by God. You don't want to have two babies three months apart in the same womb. That would be that would be that would very be really, problematic. Yeah, that would be very problematic. So if if you give a woman those hormones outside of the, the natural cycle, it, you just you just prolong that waiting phase of the ovaries. The ovaries just wait. Release, they, okay. They do not release eggs until the brain until those hormones go away and the brain tells them to release eggs so the question is if i'm on hormones artificially you know medically prescribed medically prescribed hormones can i not can i end a pregnancy that's already started and the answer is yes yes you can end a pregnancy that's already started so you want to be careful that you aren't taking a hormone if you already have a pregnancy started. So if, you, if you're taking a birth control pill, a combined oral contraceptive, that's, that's estrogen and progesterone, you want to make sure you're taking that contraceptive pill before you get pregnant. Right. And how much before should they, like, is, is it okay to start two weeks before my wedding day? Is it, you know... Assume so. As Christians, we're assuming you're you're gonna have, uh, not be intimate until you're married, right? Right. We're we're gonna follow the commands of the Lord. Yes. So, is two weeks before my wedding day enough? Is do I need to be two months before my wedding day? I I would suggest a full menstrual cycle before. Okay, so that that, at least that a would full menstrual cycle that that clears any doubt. Uh, they suggest as 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 early as as small of a time as as soon as you stop bleeding before you start your next cycle. That should cover it, but Let's just play it safe. Let's play and it I'll, safe. I'll suggest a full menstrual cycle. And, and as far as hormones go, I just want to throw this out there. The, the amount of hormone a woman is taking in a, in a birth control pill, so to speak, a, a, a combined oral contraceptive, is very small. It's a very small amount of hormone. And it just, it just it's, a, it's, a, it's a small message to the ovaries and to the, the rest of the reproductive system to not release any more eggs at this moment. Okay. So let's let's say we can accept that as morally acceptable right. because we are preventing the fertilization. Mm-hmm. Are there hormones that are designed to prevent birth? Yes, there are. And and now now we're moving into what we have already identified as morally unacceptable. Wrong. Correct. Correct. So could you explain that process to us? So we already talked about uh, progesterone and estrogen. To prevent conception. What they found out is if you give a woman a large dose of progesterone after she's already conceived, so after the sperm and the egg have met, if you give a woman a large dose of progesterone, let's say 10 times the amount that would normally be prescribed, 
after the sperm and the egg are conceived, you can you can eliminate that pregnancy by causing the woman's reproductive system to essentially flush itself out like you would in, in a menstrual cycle. So the progesterone is the hormone that tells the the uterus basically, right. hey, we're, we we didn't get success here. Right. Let's flush this out. Right. Well, and if if you give too much, yes, it's, if you give too much, it sends a message to the brain that hey, the cycle is over. We're 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 restarting. We're rebooting the menstrual rebooting, cycle. Rebooting. Rebooting. Yes. It's it's a hard reset if you take too much of that hormone. Okay. So in in your view as a biologist, does that end life? Yes. Oh, absolutely. You're you are eliminating that embryo, you are either eliminating it by uh, causing it to leave the, the woman's body, or you're, you could starve it to death by preventing it from implanting in the woman's uterus and receiving nourishment. Wow. Yeah. So what, what, are the, what are the common names of these kinds of pills that, uh, that we should be aware of? Yeah, so uh, common names would be like the morning after pill or plan B. These are, these are hormone pills that are, divine, that are d- designed to, in part, uh, destroy an embryo after it's been conceived, shortly after it's been conceived. Now, there are other uh, drugs that are designed to cause a woman's reproductive system to flesh out uh, a while after, a few weeks after that embryo is implanted in the uterus and developed a a placenta. Okay. And those would be we're definitely getting into the abortifactants yes. when we talk about yes. those drugs that, you know, are designed to be taken a few weeks after. So yes. if you're a woman and and you missed your cycle yes, and you're like, uh-oh, I, I might be pregnant. And then you go to the doctor at that point yes. and you get some drugs. Now we're dealing with like legitimate abortifactants. Yes, correct. That is, that is absolutely correct. All right. And, and so we're not even going to walk down the road of discussing those yeah. because those are those are morally let me yeah let me just make this clear for that's fine for everybody's listening if you take a a plan b as a form of contraception you could very well be causing a an abortion on a microscopic scale you could be killing an embryo after shortly after it's been conceived wow so for for the christian we don't want to be intentionally taking something that will kill an embryo, even though it's microscopic, even though it's uh, very early in the pregnancy, if, if you're taking a plan B or a morning after pill as, as your, as your contraceptive method, you, you need to reconsider. Okay. Let's, I'm sure that there are probably Christians who are listening to this, who are going to be like, Oh, okay. Well, how do I determine what form of hormonal birth control I'm using? What should a a Christian woman, and I I would actually encourage a Christian couple to visit the doctor together. Mm -hmm. I don't think, again, I don't think that this should be left to the woman to just do all by herself. Husbands need to be involved in this. They need to hear what the doctor has to say. They need to be available to ask questions and ask them from a different perspective, a hopefully theological perspective. Give us some examples of some of the kinds of questions that couples who want to use hormonal birth control yes. should ask their doctors so that they can ensure that they're using a kind that is morally permissible. Right. So if you're going to get married or if you are married and you want to use a hormonal contraceptive yep. to, to plan your family in a way of, that way to honors God, to exercise good stewardship, go to the doctor I, I, again, the couple should go together, 
and and ask the physician and say, hey, if if we're on this pill, is and we're using it as as we're instructed to, is this pill primarily going to prevent conception? Is this pill going to prevent conception? Or is this pill going to prevent implantation? Implantation is the embryo that's formed, that, that new human life, getting nourishment from the mother. So if you stop implantation, which is what a plan B or a morning after pill does, you are essentially starving to death that new human life. Okay. I and mean, we don't want to do that. So that's the question a pretty is simple conception question. versus implantation. That's, that, a, that's a pretty simple yeah. question to ask. But what? Okay, let's just play devil's advocate. What if the doctor's like, hey, don't worry about that. We're, you know, we're preventing you from having children. You know, if the doctor kind of plays coy on giving you an answer or even says something like, well, I don't really know. Is there somewhere that a Christian couple could go and look up in, in the literature? I mean, I, you know, we've all gotten, Andrew, we've all gotten prescriptions from the doctors. Right. And, and you get this prescription and it's filled with this like two pages of like size four font <laughs> and, and you're yeah. all these instructions and warnings and side effects and everything. Right. Like should, should the person just turn to, should the couple turn to Google and just be like, Hey, how does this drug prevent birth? Or, you know, what, what should they do? Let's say their doctor's not really willing to give them a straight answer. I, the first thing I would suggest is find a different physician. Okay. Find a different physician. Because I would not suggest going to Google. Uh, and the reason being is there's too much information. There's okay. too many voices. There's too many quote unquote experts out there. Uh, so you want to be careful about just Googling something and then making your decisions on what you discover on Google. Okay. I would find a doctor who's willing to discuss frankly with you how the prescription that, that he's providing is working. And if, if you can't find one that's going to be frank with you, find, find a different one. That'd be my, or, or find someone in your church who is maybe a pharmacist or a doctor. Um, find someone to talk to and, and who you trust and say, hey, we got prescribed this. This is what's in it. Uh, can you tell us how it works? That's a great suggestion. Great suggestion. Because, I mean, let's be honest. Uh, I, I know that as a Christian, I've struggled to get along with doctors mm -hmm. because I have a very different worldview than my doctor has. Mm -hmm. You have a different worldview. than uh, Christians should have a different worldview than their physician in, in a majority of cases. I mean, the, the majority, the, the, the fact of the matter is, there, are there great Christian doctors out there? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. But they're few and far between. Yeah. And you're not always going to meet them. Uh, my wife and I just finally actually met a doctor who we believe is a Christian, uh, but it's the first doctor we've gone to in like 13 or 14 years mm -hmm. who we thought was a, a Christian mm -hmm. uh, or who is approaching things from our worldview. So I yep. think that's a really important thing for couples to to consider as an alternative, if your doctor's not giving you the right information, then find another physician. And yeah. especially when it comes to like an OBGYN, there, there's definitely not a lot of those doctors out there. Right, right. I, I would I would say generally speaking, though, if, if you ask them the right questions, they should be able to give you straight answers. Good, Generally good, speaking, they good. should. And we don't want to... We don't want to cause a lot of general distrust towards doctors. That's no. not what we're trying to do no, at we, all. We, we can be thankful for... Uh, God giving them the knowledge to give us medicine that, that is useful. Absolutely. We, we just have to be very careful in, in how we apply that to our lives. We and, have to think about it from that biblical worldview. Like yes. what is of faith versus, yes. you know, what are we doing out of ignorance? Or maybe, maybe my conscience wouldn't even allow me to do this, but because I don't know better, I'm doing it. 
You right. know, and sometimes we do things out of ignorance, which really isn't an excuse. No. It's not an excuse, but quite frankly, we've all had times in our lives where we've done things out of ignorance and then later had to repent and confess our sin and, in that and, regard. And Paul would backhand us on the head <laughs> and say, I strive always yes. to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Yes. Paul, Paul worked hard. And we, and we must do that as well. That's right. I want to ask you a question about possible side effects of using contraception control. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we, we've already established that birth control that prevents implantation is morally unacceptable. Right. It's wrong. We're not even going to go there. Yes. But let's say we, we are using contraceptive control because we want to be good stewards of our family. Can you give me a rundown of some of the possible side effects? Let's start with the hormonal, si- the hormonal okay. version. And then we'll move to the barrier version, and then let's move to natural. Let's okay. kind of do that yeah, progression. That so That's fine. So if you're using a, a combined oral contraceptive, uh, again, that's, that's taking a low dose of estrogen and a low dose of progesterone to prevent the woman from releasing an egg. Okay? Uh, your wife is, essentially her body is, is on standby all the time waiting for a pregnancy to occur. Okay, that's that's what her body is doing, and so uh, some women respond; they, they feel moody. I, I that's I've I've talked to couples, and they tried a combined oral contraceptive, and they understood it; their conscience was clear about it, but the woman just felt terrible on it, quite frankly, and that that was that was a reason for them to pursue a different form of contraception. So that that's generally speaking the the most prevalent uh, side effect. Some women are fine on it. Uh, some women actually feel better because it it can reduce the pain of normal a normal menstrual cycle. Wow! So some it it sometimes you just have to try it and find out if your conscience is clear about it. The second general side effect would be long term effects. So again, those hormones are telling the woman's body to be on standby to see if a pregnancy happens all the time. What can happen is, is if you're on a oral contraceptive or a combined hormone contraceptive for more than 10 years or so, or after the, the age of 35, you start to increase your risk of cancer. So OBGYNs generally say, you know, you, this is not a permanent solution. This is not a permanent thing you want to you be on for, for, for until menopause starts or something. Yeah, because that could be a 25 to 30-year span of time for a woman, depending right. on how early she is when he, she first gets her cycle yep. to how old she is when menopause starts. It, it could be even 40 years in some cases. And I do want to alleviate some uh, misconceptions. You know, Being on birth control for, for a, a, again, a shorter period of time, and, and by birth control I mean a combined hormonal contraceptive right conception control conception control it's really hard to change that nomenclature it even is in our minds as christians it is it is and, and as christians we mean something different than the world means but still we, we have to be clear let's be clear about contraception control in some ways that if you're on that contraceptive control hormonal contraception contraceptive control for a short period of time you know a few years five years eight years you're actually at a lesser risk for some cancers and and at a at a greater risk maybe for others, but it's a break even really, is what most researchers say. It's sort of a break even in terms of cancer risk if you don't use it for a lot longer than ten years or after you're forty five. So those those are the side effects. Okay, 
and I think those are things, good things to be aware of. The the moodiness mm-hmm. or the the just the feelings that are produced from having that low dose hormone mm-hmm. every day, probably the most common side effect that people are going to feel, and yes. one that will affect their daily life most often. Yes, cancer. Um, while we don't want to minimize the effects of cancer no. and the severity of cancer, uh, we recognize that there are, are a number of different things that we utilize every day that could possibly cause cancer, according to research. Right. And, so and, we just yeah. we just need to be careful and and weigh the risks of that. Right. And that and again, that falls into the the honest gray area of observing God's creation. Yes. I, like we like I said earlier, there's so much we don't know. We we have to make the best judgment we can on what we do know. Yes, and I, I just don't want people to be afraid of like, oh, if I use this birth control, then I, I could possibly get cancer. Well, y- you may or you may not. I mean, it, you just have to understand what the risks are, and that's all we're trying to do is right. educate on the risks. How about if we look at the side effects of like barrier control methods? Sure. Um, let's start with surgery. Those are, those are uh, start with the greater and go to the lesser here. So surgical methods are permanent usually. Um, and, and most of the time, um, uh, it's difficult to reverse them. Sometimes they're reversible, but it's, it's not without a second surgery. And sometimes you can be permanently sterilized by, by either getting your tubes tied for a woman or getting a vasectomy done for a man. Uh, sometimes those are not reversible. So if you're going to use surgery as a, ma- as a mode of conception control, you need to seriously ask yourself, have I obeyed God's command to be fruitful and multiply? That's a good point. That's a good point. So surgery would be not an option for a young couple. Like if you're a young couple, if you just got married, right? You know, and, and you're like, hey, we want to be dual income, no kids, yeah. right? Uh, then, and, and we want to travel the world and we want to do fun things. Like, right. I'm not necessarily against that if you're a, a young couple and you want to enjoy life together before having children, but- you have to understand that if your your means of conception control is surgical, then it's going to be very difficult to reverse that. Yes, th- that's a theological problem. That's if a, that's your attitude. Exactly, that's a theological problem, and so that would be like uh, that. That would definitely be more in my realm, mm-hmm. you know. Of hey, how come you have decided to not obey the command of God to be fruitful and multiply? Mm-hmm. Now, people will say, "Well, I, I can't," you know. Okay, fine. You can't be fruitful and multiply because the Lord has made you barren in some way, shape, or form. That's different than having an attitude of, I don't want to do this. Right, exactly. Okay, so I believe, and I, you are obviously articulated as well, that Christian couples should attempt to have children. Right. So we need to use a barrier method that would enable you, if you're going to use that method when you're young, to eventually... Try to have children. Something reversible. Something you know? reversible. And and to quick go back to the hormonal method, the, that combined oral contraceptive or combined hormonal contraceptive, there there are patches and injections you can take too. Um, those are those are very easily reversible. If you stop taking the pill, if for for a couple of days, uh, the woman can ovulate and she can get pregnant. And there's a lot of people who get pregnant while they're on the pill because yes. life gets busy and you're like, oh, when's the last time I took my pill? Yes. Oops, it was three days ago. Oops, you're pregnant. And now I'm pregnant. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We call those love children. <laughs> <laughs> Snow babies. Snow babies. Snow babies, That's right? right. It's Coronavirus. Like, there's nothing babies. else to do when there's a blizzard outside, right? Yes. So. Yes. But uh, <laughs> again, the, the, the surgical method of contraception may not be reversible. So right. don't. 
don't count on being able to reverse as that. a pastor that would be something that i would recommend to couples who who have already had a number of children mm-hmm. okay and maybe there is some kind of actual health consequence for the mother or the father yes should she become pregnant again usually in the case of the mother so right. a lot of women as they get older just experience a number of different um complications, complications yeah. in pregnancy that could put the life of the mother and the baby at risk. And so in order to, hey, we want to preserve the life of the mother, um, it's probably better not to conceive any more children and have her go through the process of labor and delivery or gestation, labor, and delivery any longer. And, and so those, the, the, bari- the uh, surgical methods of barrier protection, that's what we're talking about, right? Right. Surgical methods of barrier protection would be better for older couples. That would be something that right. I would recommend more to an older couple yeah, already and that, established. And that really, that meshes well with steward, Christian stewardship. It's, it what does. do I do with what God has given me? Right. It's a question of stewardship. So moving from surgery to, uh, say, a condom. No, uh, that, that's a barrier. It prevents the sperm from entering the woman. Um, some some. Side effects of that are it's going to affect your pocketbook a little bit. Right. Uh, good condoms aren't cheap. Right. Um, and uh, condoms also aren't as fun, just to be frank. Right. Um, and there They're, can also be some allergic reactions. Right. Yeah, there can be some, from from the woman's perspective and, and from the man's perspective, there's, yes. there's a lot of people who have a, a latex sensitivity. Sure, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, you, you deal with, with those as possible side effects. Yeah. All right, the last barrier side effect, I think, or the last barrier method would be time. Time, yes. Okay, so what's the what's the pro, what's the the side effect with time? Well, we already talked about it's it's difficult to successfully uh, time intercourse so you don't get pregnant. Um, so, you know, sometimes you're unsuccessful and you have a baby, you have a snow baby. Right. Um, uh, there can be some angst too. You know that it's it's so you have to exercise some self control. Um, and, and those, that would be the, the side effects that it's free. You just have to have the willpower to do it. I would say one of the other things that you didn't mention there, as I've looked into natural family planning is the discipline to track everything about yes. the woman. Yes. So the woman, the, the female in this particular situation, if you're going to be using natural family planning, the woman has to be extremely disciplined to mm-hmm. track when does her cycle start? When does her cycle end? Mm-hmm. When is her, her uh, when does her um, ovary, when is her ovary released? Okay. Yes. yes. If you're going to use this natural family planning, one of the, the one of the side effects is you have to be stre- extremely disciplined. Otherwise, you're probably going to make a mistake. And, you know, for the couple, just in terms of a, a purely enjoyment standpoint, because we know that God created intimacy not just for the purpose of procreation, right. but also for the purpose of pleasure, mm-hmm. also to fulfill different needs that the, the husband and wife have together. Yes. Yep. Um, if you're going to use this natural family planning, that clearly limits when you yes. can be intimate during the course of a month. Yes. And so you may have to settle for a lower frequency of intimacy in mm-hmm. order to make this an effective method for you. Yes. Yeah, that, that angst and... You're you're absolutely right. The very clear communication between husband and wife, you know, and and the woman. It's a lot of responsibility on the woman to keep track of it. Now, I want to bring up something to you. Thank you for going over the side effects. But I want to bring up something to you that um, I found in my research and you discussed with me outside of the podcast. Sure. About, you know, the fact that um, there are 
there are a number of researchers who suggest, okay, that somewhere between 30 and 50% of unfertilized embryos actually don't implant in mm. the uterus. Mm -hmm. And I could totally see somebody who is in favor of abortion mm -hmm. saying, well, look, your body is naturally aborting those babies. Mm -hmm. And so why can't we artificially or mm -hmm. unnaturally abort those babies? Mm -hmm. What's the difference there? Yeah, that, that is an argument that actually comes up uh, when it, we get into the it does come up frequently. technical details. So uh, again, just repeating what Jonathan said with a couple more nuances. The best researchers can tell, and again, this is hard, really hard to observe. You, you have to have a, a, a microscopic camera inside of a woman's uterus um, to know for sure. But the best they can tell is anywhere from 30 to 50% of embryos that form, so that's successful conceptions, fail to develop to a birth. So somewhere along the line, either they don't implant in the uterus and they get starved out and, and they die, uh, or in early pregnancy, there's some kind of complication. The woman may never even know she was pregnant. And it terminates. And it terminates. Um, those sort of things happen at the frequency of, of up to 30 to 50% of the time uh, of natural conceptions. That's because we live in a world that's cursed by sin. And the, the point is, as Christians, we don't want to intentionally be causing those pregnancies, early as they may be, to end. So you're suggesting, and I would agree with you, you're suggesting that, hey, the woman's body, because it is a, a finely tuned machine mm -hmm. crafted by God, yes. can sometimes uh, receive that fertilized embryo, and sometimes it doesn't, right. maybe because of a stress response yep. or some other kind of environmental factor that right. is outside of her control. Yes. It could be the fact that maybe her body fat percentage is too low or it could be too high. There are a number of things oh, that yeah. prevent her body from basically being, quote unquote, ready mm -hmm. to receive that fertilized embryo. And what you're saying is that is very different than intentionally yes. causing the fertilized embryo to be flushed. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So we don't have any control over whether our body will actually accept that fertilized embryo or not. I mean, clearly it happens between 50 and 70% of the time. <laughs> yes. So yes. It's, not like, it's not like conception and implantation and gestation are hard things. Right. They're, but we, do our, we, we are living under the curse of sin, and we do experience tragedies, I think, from a Christian perspective, when you have a, a pregnancy that terminates. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, the intent really matters. We don't want to be using modes of conception or birth control that are intending to terminate an embryo that's just formed. Wow. Even though it might happen naturally because we live in a world that's cursed by sin, we have disease, our bodies don't function like they should, but our intent should not be to take advantage of a process that's cursed by sin and 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 cause more termination. Should not be our intent. Very well said. Very well said. Well, Andrew, um, as we wrap up here, I wanted to know if there's any other thoughts that you wanted to share from your research about this particular topic. I I think that again, as Christians, we are looking to the scriptures and we see that clearly life begins at conception. And so we want to do all that we can to protect and preserve life as much as it depends upon us. Right. Any final thoughts that you want to add? Yeah, just thinking about marriage, just thinking about 
scriptures, things that Paul has written uh, concerning decisions of the conscience. As a married couple, you want to make sure if there's a disagreement between the husband and wife about what mode of conception control to use, whether it's a barrier, uh, using time, using hormones, if there is a disagreement and one of the couple, uh, one of the couple's conscience cannot accept, say, a hormonal method of, of conception control. The, the other person in the couple should not insist on using that method against the other's conscience. We need to be sensitive to allowing uh, the husband and wife to have a conscience that is free and not burdened by guilt. So couples, if, if one of you doesn't want hormone uh, conception control, the other person in the, in the couple ought to be willing to find a different mode of conception control, even if you don't have that same burden of conscience. I think that's a great point. Great point to conclude on. We, we want to encourage Christians to do things well. Yes. And also to love one another. Yes. Yep. And to demonstrate, we, you know, we often don't think about um, the exercise of Christian liberty in our marriage in mm-hmm. terms of like, oh, I can't violate my spouse's conscience. Yeah. But that's a really good point to bring up, especially in this very sensitive topic. We yes, we don't want somebody because then, if their conscience is being violated, let's just say in in types of con- conception control, mm-hmm. then the actual act that could produce a child becomes a burdensome thing. It's tinged you, with guilt. It, it's tinged with guilt, and you don't have that freedom of enjoyment that right. you would have otherwise. No. So, yeah, we really I think that's a really good final point to end on. We want Christians to understand exactly what they're doing when it comes to family planning. Mm-hmm. And we want them to have consciences that are clear before God. Mm-hmm. And we want ultimately to, to glorify Christ in all that we do. Yes, absolutely. Well, Andrew, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast, for doing all this research. I really appreciate all that you have put into this. And I, I trust that those who hear this will greatly benefit from the information provided. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Jonathan. God bless you. Yep.